0: Please be aware that there is a drop in recording quality in the middle of this sermon due to a problem with a cable. The noise level has been reduced as much as possible. Thank you for your understanding.: You may be seated: I didn't ask Pastor West this in the first service, but are the crispy creams? Is that still part of the I'm going to come. I think I'll be there. For that, It is great to see you all. I just want to bring you great greetings from the other 32 Wesleyan churches here in western New York. They're all kind of busy right now and doing services, but uh, it's so great to be here. And I'm sure they would be trying to tell you, keep it up, keep doing what you're doing. God is blessing and continuing to bless in community after community. And our prayer is that he'll just continue to help us to know how to reach out to other areas, other communities, Plant more churches and certainly help the ones that we have. And then even reach clear around the world. What a great thing. My wife is with me this morning. And if you get a chance, you want to be sure and say hi to Lynn. um, And I hope I get a chance to speak to you as well. If you turn in your uh, bulletin, there's a little half sheet there that uh, has Mark chapter 6 at the top of it. And that's always a great sheet because you know when the speaker's done when that's all filled out. And so you'll have that for you, which is a good thing. Pastor Wes read Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. And this message is basically uh, talking about the hometown crowd and how not to hinder God. Is that coming up? There it is. Good. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 6 one more time, if that's all right. I'm just going to read verse 1 through 6. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began but to teach them in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? That he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus gets to go back to Nazareth. His hometown. He's a hometown boy, and this is the hometown crowd. And when I think of this passage, or when I began to think of this passage, a couple of questions came uh, almost immediately. And if you could show that, that's actually what Nazareth looks like. It it or it looked like in Jesus's day. There's a part of this right below a hospital, I guess, in Nazareth, and it's the old town. And the two questions that that I had when Jesus returned to his hometown were, number one, what kind of uh, thoughts or what kind of things was Jesus thinking when he returned to Nazareth? Was his return a successful one? And then the second question was, what was Nazareth able to do that no other town was able to do to Jesus No other town was able to do what Nazareth did. Well, let's answer the first one. The first one, really, I think Jesus was excited to go back to his hometown. I think it was exciting for him to share with people that he had always shared with. I certainly have gone back to my hometown and preached, and that is an amazing thing, to go back and stand and preach to people that know you very, very, very well. They know all your family But they particularly know you. In fact, they shushed you on many an occasion. Some have diapered you. And there you are preaching to them the very word of God. What an amazing thing. So I'm sure Jesus was fairly excited to go back. And he was going to reveal something to them that he had not yet done. And so all this excitement. But in verse 4, just before verse 4, it says, They took offense at him. And he was not able to do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people. And the last part of that says, he was amazed. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So, no, I don't think it was a very successful trip at Nazareth. They hindered him greatly. And that takes us to the second question or answers it. What was Nazareth able to do that no other, no other town was able to do to Jesus they stopped him cold they put the kabosh on the Messiah he could do no miracles there that's sad to hinder God that way and as I looked at that, that and thought about that I, I certainly
1: don't want to I bet you don't want to and, and so that brought up some other uh, questions that just kind of helped me understand some things, and I began to switch the slide. What caused them to do this? What's what what uh, stopping so cold? And the second setup, we flip those next to up. What was the problem, and where was the fault? Now I'm a pretty systematic person. Some of you have gotten to know me over the years. I've been here eight years as your district superintendent, and I served on some boards with many of you pretty common pretty straightforward kind of person and so what i wanted to do in this because they hindered christ's soul at nazareth i wanted to know whose fault was it and i began to wonder uh just exactly who it was and i before you put the next slide i basically was asking three questions was it the was the problem with the man so we're going to look at jesus was the problem with the message what he said, or was the problem with the people, the people, was it their fault? So I looked at those three because basically those were the players in this scripture. So let's bring up the first one. The first one is the man, Jesus himself. Now, I'm going to look at that, and you may want to back up just a few rows, because I never know if any uh, lightning bolts will strike when we look at Christ. But so far they haven't. At least my hair is still somewhat red. And so let's, let's start with the man. Let's look at the man. Here's the questions I was asking when I began to look at him. Was it something in the way Jesus just, his mannerisms, or the way he dressed on that day, or the perhaps the way he would speak or not speak, or his ability to be very relational or somewhat aloof. I was kind of looking for was it Jesus himself? Was he the problem on that day in Nazareth? And so, just like if I could put him up here, I'm looking at him with a microscope as best I can. Was it Jesus' fault? Was he the cause of the problem on that day in Nazareth? Well, it didn't take me long, and there's a couple of verses that I'm going to read that really help me understand some things about Jesus. Let's go to First Colossians 3, chapter 11. Verse 15 to 19. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, this is describing Christ here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, or by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they were thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in, in him all things, all things, hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, in absolutely everything, he might have the supremacy. And then verse 19, just an incredible scripture. For God, God is pleased to have all of his folks. Well, in Jesus. Now, if you were reading Colossians, and you just go on down the page a little farther. Colossians chapter two, verse nine. Just one small sentence, but it's so great, and it's right on the heels of verse nineteen, of chapter one. For in Christ, for in this one, in Jesus, all the fullness, all of it all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And when I read those passages, it did not take me long. I remember I'm up here looking at Jesus. And I was looking at, was he a problem? Was it something he said, Something way he dressed? Was it some kind of thing in his general appearance or his personhood? And then I read those verses. I mean, I read verses that talk about God and about God being here on this earth in the person of Jesus. And it was not hard for me to take Jesus and kind of set him off to the side. It wasn't really with him. In fact, I've said this in many a church here. I really don't think Jesus was a nerd. you? Not when you read those verses. So he wasn't the problem. So let's go to the next one. Could be what he said on that day. His message. You know, Jesus was a fiery speaker. He could tell the Pharisees that they were whitewashed tombs or dead men's bones. He had the ability to kind of just zero in and say what a person needed. He told the woman at the well that that she had had many husbands and now she needed to settle that Jesus had an amazing way to speak and so I began to wonder, I'm putting his message up now. Maybe it was what he said. And it's interesting, I, I just basically it's in Luke chapter 4. This is what he said on that day. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. In unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is in me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, let me just help you with that. We're going to keep reading, but let me just help you with that for a second. Jesus, the hometown boy, is in his hometown synagogue, and they hand him this scroll, which he probably asked them to hand to him, and it's the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads a scripture that everyone in that hometown synagogue or Jewish people would know that this is a scripture, a messianic that was about the anointed one, the one that was to come, the one they had been waiting for and crying out for, the one God would send to save them. He's reading about Messiah. And so we'll pick it up from there. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I bet they were. And he began by saying to them, Today, right here, right now, in this place, in Nazareth, right now, at this very moment, right now as I'm speaking, right now, today, in this uh, this scripture, this very one, this one I just read from, from Isaiah, this messianic scripture, right now, right here, is fulfilled. It's fulfilled. In your hearing. What is Jesus claiming? What is Jesus proclaiming here? Now you remember, I was kind of left wondering what his message caused the problem. And when I read that, I really began to wonder. Jesus is basically telling this Jewish group, his hometown, that he's the Messiah. I bet their necks went down and their hearts got tough. But if you read just a little further, in fact, just one more verse, Luke chapter 4 22, Paul spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And then they go on talking about his family. Isn't this Joseph's? That's four twenty-two. Look at Mark six 2. We read it at the beginning several times. We read this. Listen, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Now, remember, I'm sitting there wondering if it's a message, and I think it led to it. But for some reason, on that day, evidently there was power in that man. God kind of power coming out through God, God's Messiah, and the words that He spoke. People were like, "Wow, He's the Messiah!" They started to go with it, and so even though I wonder if His message didn't sort of lead to it, it didn't cause it. So I take His message and I said about Messiah, and there's only one group left, and that's the people. You go look at them, the people. My dad often said something that uh, I have found to be quite true. He said that people could mess up a one-car parade. Sad, but true. That's what my dad said. And they were going with it. They were going with the flow, and they were saying, Wow, the Messiah has been revealed. They're all excited, I'm sure. Their hearts started to race, and... Who's this? What is this wisdom that's been given to them? They're excited, they're, they're overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden they hit the brakes. They just stopped everything. And I'm gonna hearken back to my early days, my younger days, my childhood days. And I'm gonna mimic a car picking up speed. Remember I'm a horse. Car picking up speed and then hitting the brakes. Are you ready for this? I just want to warn you. This thing has a beard. We're going to chit in the Are you ready? <laughs> Let me just share some problems that I saw in this passage of what they did, how they hit the brakes. They're going with it. He's the Messiah. In their minds and hearts, He's the Messiah. But all of a sudden, stop stop the presence. It can't be the Messiah. Hey, they were only familiar with Jesus. Only familiar the fact that they knew Jesus' family affect the way they received him. Absolutely. All of a sudden, his pedigree gets in the way. And who he knew, and who he grew up with, they start to talk about his brothers, and his, his sisters, and probably somebody mentioned, wasn't he a carpenter, and wasn't his dad a carpenter? And They probably started to talk about his cousins, his uncles, and all kinds of things, The pedigree got in the way. And he began to say, he's from here, and all those things, and They knew a lot about him, but did they really know him? Did they really know Jesus? Did they really know the Messiah? I don't think so. I think they just knew a lot about him. They were only familiar. And that's a problem, and that can cause such a stopping or such a a breaking problem in people when they're only familiar with Jesus. And that's what happened in Nazareth. They were too close to Christ. Too close to Christ. Similar to being only familiar, but too close to Christ. Some people will say, you're too close to the forest to see the trees, or too close to the tree to see the forest. I've heard it said, both ways. And that happened in Nazareth. It was kind of a a Nazareth syndrome, to be too close to Christ. They sort of all of a sudden did what I think Happens a lot, they start to psych themselves out. They began to say, wait a minute, stop, hold, stop everything. This can't happen here. This is Nazareth. You know, the Bible even says, can anything good come from Nazareth? They kind of had that, that persona about them. Oh, hold it, this could maybe happen in Jerusalem, in the temple. But it can't happen in little Nazareth. It can't happen with our hometown boy. We're just going to stop anything because it just can't be happening. They were too close to Christ. They would not let Him be the Christ because they began to see themselves and what was going on there, and it just can't be the place. And then see. Their limited faith could not see beyond his flesh and blood. Their limited faith could not see beyond his flesh and blood. What really stopped Jesus' ministry in Nazareth? What was the one thing that his hometown wouldn't give it? Well, Jesus spells it out pretty clearly in Luke 4, 23. You don't need to go there. Just listen to this. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Jesus says this to him. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Position, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Limited faith is what that that proverb is about. Heal yourself, and then we'll believe. I've got a little illustration that may help you with this. Almost exactly two years ago, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor on my right side. Fortunately it was non cancerous, but it was there. And between March Eventually, you get a neurosurgeon. And nobody ever teaches you how to do that, but
0: lots of people say, be sure and pick the right one. And so eventually, I found Dr. Gibbons. And Dr. Gibbons, there was even a dossier or a bio on the internet that I read, and I just remember thinking, this is a pretty great guy. Now, let me just tell you something. At this point, he hadn't done something that he was later to do, and that is he was one of the surgeons That chief surgeon that actually worked on Kevin Everett, the Bills player that had the bad problem in his neck, my doctor was that guy. (laughs) But at that time, I didn't know that. He was just a surgeon to me, just a neurosurgeon. So Lynn and I got a chance to go into the hospital and actually see him. And we had to spend about 40 minutes with him one day. And remember, we're trying to decide, is he the guy? And we had a great time with him. In fact, he took so much great time with us. And he spent... Just, just his words were so comforting to us. And he seemed to know what was going on. And he eventually moved to tell us how he was going to remove the tumor and all the things that were just great. And I was really feeling comfortable. And eventually chose him. But just imagine if I would have taken it up a notch. Now, this didn't happen, but imagine if it would have. What if I had said to Dr. Gibbons on that day, towards the end of our time, when he's even starting to get out his schedule book, If I'd have said to him, Dr. Gibbons, Lynn and I are really impressed with what we've heard, and we really think that you're very likely the person, but we want you to do one more thing, or I want you to do one more thing. I want you to operate on yourself. And I want to watch this operation. I want you to kind of gown up and then get on the gurney, and then it'll be cold in the room and experience that. I want to watch you. And then all the lights and the nurses, and all, but I want you to be awake enough that you can actually do the surgery on yourself. So however you do that, open that up and take that out, You know, make that happen. And then close it up, be sure and close it up. And then roll out into the recovery room, and you know, I want to watch you recover. And then after so many days or hours or whatever of recovery, I want to watch you go up to your, your room, and I want to I know all the meds that you had to take. During that time. And then I'm going to watch you actually recover in your room for several weeks. And then we'll follow up. And if I like what I see. If I like what I see, Dr. Gibbons, I'll let you work on me. Now, I never said that to him. But just imagine if he, if I had. And just imagine what he would have said back. And I, I don't know what he said, but he's a very nice man. And I'm kind of thinking he probably would have said this. Neil. I really have enjoyed our time. And you've asked many great questions, and I think I could help you. But this last one that you're asking me, this last thing that you're asking me to do, I don't think I'm going to do that for you. (laughs) And I don't think any other surgeon would ever do that for you. You're asking something that's just not possible. And so someday, if you finally get to a place where you have faith in your surgeon, then you call me back and we'll reschedule and I'll try to take that tumor out. Now that's an illustration there. Just listen to what Jesus said. Physician, surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Remember, we're working on little or limited faith. The people in Nazareth were kind of saying, do all the miracles. You do all the stuff. And if we like what we see, We'll jump in there with you and believe. And the Bible says that's not how it works. In fact, you know the Bible as well as I do. Unless you have faith as small as a, what is it? Mustard seed. Hebrews tells us that we have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when they held back their faith, much like I probably would have held my faith back in that silly illustration, It just doesn't work. Limited faith. So Nazareth had these three problems, only familiar, too close to Christ, limited faith. Well, now we're down to life application time, and life application is important. Okay, we're talking about Nazareth. We understand they had a problem and all that, but how how does that affect me? Well, I was reading Matthew chapter 6, and I read this part, and it just... Kind of picked up steam in my spirit and helped me understand how I was going to bridge, as a pastor, bridge the gap from then to now. Here's what Jesus said. This is from Mark chapter 6. Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Now let me read that again, and I want you just to think for just a moment. Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. I read that over and over and over, and it just eventually dawned on me. And you know who came to my mind? The person who is about 85 now, but in those days she was much younger. It's my mother. And this is what she used to say to me when we were in church. She'd say, Don't run in the church, Neil. It's God's house. She'd say, Keep a quiet voice in the church, Neil. Now, she never really said it like that. It wasn't quite that calm when she said it. Keep a quiet voice, Neil. in the church. It's, it's God's house. And then we used to sing a song, and I bet you've sung it here. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And pastor after pastor and teacher after teacher and friend after friend and family member after family member taught me to understand the bible and this great truth that i was part of the family of god if i accepted christ i was in god was not only my father but i was his son and that we were a family we were joy i was joining the church and there were things like communion and things that helped me understand i was part of this great family of god and remember this this verse that Jesus says, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house as a prophet without honor. And when I put all those things together and thought about the family of God, suddenly I began to think, you know, this is applicable to today. We, God's church, God's church people, could be guilty of the same things as the people in Nazareth. And so it's very applicable So I have a few questions for you, and then I'll close. If Jesus were to spend time in this church, if Jesus were to spend time in this church, or with you, maybe in your home or wherever, would he be amazed at your or this church's lack of faith? Would he be able to do miracles here or with you? And if not, what would be stopping him? Here's another one. And these have to do with being only familiar and too close and limited faith. Here we go. Are you in a deep relationship with Jesus or only familiar? You know, I've pastored now probably 22, 23 years served in a bunch of congregations and had some wonderful, wonderful times. But it has always amazed me, some people, how they know everything about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They know all of the book learning and all of the teachings and all of the doctrines, but they really don't know the Savior. They can tell you how wide and long and high and deep is the walls of Jericho. They can talk about parting and water. They can tell you every begat in the Old Testament. They've been to the Holy Land and they can tell you how this is that and that was this. And there's this kind of wind or that kind of of climate or this kind of of topography. They'll tell you all these things about that time and they'll even talk about Jesus. But the question is, do they really know him? And I found as a pastor at times when we finally break through, I've had people say that very thing. I've been in the church all my life. I've understood all these things, but I've never asked Christ to be my Savior. I never closed the deal. I was only familiar. And thank the Lord and for his grace, they allowed him to reach through all of that knowledge and get to the heart of the matter. Only familiar Are you too close to Christ to let him be God? Too close to let him be God. He is God. He is the Messiah. But are you too close? Sometimes in churches like this or small towns like this, people can psych themselves out. Well, that would only happen in and you fill in the blank. Some large metropolitan area, some large metropolitan church. That's only going to happen there. It's not going to happen here. We just can't have it happen. It's a sad thing when we psych ourselves out. I've had people say, well, I understand that, that, that God and Jesus can rebuild a marriage or rebuild finances or heal a broken heart. I understand that, but I know he does that, but he'll do it with somebody else, but I don't think he'll ever do it with me. You're limiting God when we do that, aren't we? We have to be careful of that. All I know is God can do anything all the time, anywhere, with anyone. Amen? Let me say that again. He can do anything, anytime, anywhere, with anyone. Amen? He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Don't be too close to Christ to miss him. And then see limited faith. Can your faith see beyond the flesh and blood of this church, its pastor's, And his people and let Jesus take his rightful place as Messiah in your life. What would happen if you'd really let God be God? What would it take for that to happen to you? He is God, but what would happen if you would let it? I'll just close with an illustration. Had a lady come up to me. Actually, it was in our Easter Royal Wesleyan Church. She's a wonderful lady. Come up to me with big tears in her eyes. And she said, that was a wonderful message. I really needed that. I think I am, I have limited faith. And she told me why. She said, I have a young grandson. And that grandson was five. And she told me about an illness in this grandson that would take his life. And she said, we have tried everything. And he's just, it's a death sentence. And she said, ah, I sort of have hope, but I need you to pray for me. Will you help my unbelief? Will you pray for me? Well, the Lord gave me a boldness. And I said something to her that seemingly, I think, helped her. And I said this, and it's out of my Midwestern farming background. I just said, don't plant him before it's time. And she said, what? (laughs) And I said, don't bury this boy before he's dead. Even in your want for help and for me to pray for you, just be careful there's faith there. I can pray and I'll share my faith with you, but you got to have that mustard seed. That's the whole point of this message. And she said, thank you, I'll receive that. And I need to keep that on my mind. And then I prayed for her. And honestly, I've never heard what happened to that son, our grandson, but how easily we psych ourselves out. With these things, so I'm going to ask the PowerPoint man to just leave those up. Only familiar, too close, limited faith, and I'm going to ask you to rise with me this morning. If any of those, point one, point two, point three, or all three, when you read those, it sort of say, you know, that's me up there. I'm going to pray for God's strength, His anointing. And certainly his power to come into our lives in a great, great way. Let's pray. And by the way, you can keep your eyes open while we pray. And look at those if you need to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I just ask that we would not hinder you. You're the Messiah. And it's so, so overwhelmingly true that there's nothing in you, nothing that you've caused, nothing that you've said, nothing you've ever done that dismisses that or causes that to not be effective. And yet, so many times the humanness of us can get in the way. That's what the point of this message has been. Lord, I pray that you would do what you do best and send your Holy Spirit to each heart, each person individually. I pray that you'll help those who really don't know you, but they think they do. That you'll take the blinders off and help them to understand a simple faith that comes and a simple trust in just saying, Lord, come into my life and into my heart. I need you. Deal with my sin in a very personal way. Lord, I pray for those today who maybe are only familiar, who psych themselves out and say, miracles can happen, but probably to somebody else. I pray that that would never happen. That we would understand that the Messiah is, that we have is the same Messiah as anywhere. And you can do miracles with whoever at any time. And then, Lord, I just pray for for help with our faith level. May we not practice a limited faith, a wait-and-see kind of faith, a faith that says, well, you do it, and maybe I'll jump onto it, but that we would give you it all. And through that process, Lord, may your Holy Spirit put almost like a steel rod down our backbone and help us to stand against the schemes of the evil one. And may we trust and obey. Dear God, bless us today. I ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said together, Amen.